The year 2020 was a key tipping point for the electric vehicle. Virtually all traditional automakers declared, and approximately 22 industrialized nations have stipulated, that zero-emission vehicles will make up an increasingly sizable portion of new car sales over the next 10 to 20 years. One Canadian company, Electromechanica, has spent the last five-plus years preparing to ride this surge towards vehicle electrification. The Vancouver-based firm's three-wheeled, single-occupant EV, the Solo, announced its North American launch in August of last year and has been generating buzz around its novel vehicle since then. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering, Canada's leading trade magazine for mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. In this episode of the Design Engineering podcast, I interviewed Electromechanica's CEO, Paul Rivera, to get the lowdown on the company's history, its plans for the solo going forward, and the numerous engineering challenges inherent in the design of a clean sheet EV. Before we dive in, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Misumi. A global automation components leader for more than 50 years, Misumi specializes in configurable components that save time and provide design flexibility without the high costs and long lead times of custom components. Those components are also well-suited to support the high-paced dynamics of the electric vehicle and automotive industry. Be sure to visit misumi.info auto for more information. With that, let's dive into this episode of the Design Engineering Podcast. Hello, Paul Rivera. Uh, welcome to the Design Engineering Podcast, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. I appreciate the time. So you are CEO of Electromechanica. Uh, it's a company that's been getting a lot of attention lately. I think you guys have been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, uh, Motor Trend, another a bunch of different outlets, which is uh, not bad for a, uh, an EV maker in, out of Vancouver. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting over the last, uh, especially over the last couple of months, we've been getting a lot of attention. And uh, I think that's just because people really see that we have something very unique here, right? So I'm excited right. to talk to you about our company. Yeah. So just to set the stage for anybody who might not be familiar with the solo electric vehicle, could you give me like the elevator pitch, like the, you know, like the, the synopsis of what this car is and, and uh, where it fits? Yeah, sure. So it's our flagship electric vehicle, but it's unlike any other electric vehicle that's out there, right? Because it's, first of all, when you just look at it, it's different. It's three wheels, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's strikingly different just from a visual perspective. And it's a single occupant electric vehicle, right? It's a single seat, single occupant electric vehicle. And um, right there, you've got two characteristics that make it quite different. But the whole concept about the vehicle is... If you think about all of those things that you do by yourself, right? So originally designed as a commuter car and going back and forth to work and for all of the uh, time that you spend in traffic going to and from work, most people spend um, 16 miles to and from work here in North America, 16 miles to and from work, right? And we like to do it by ourselves. We like the independence uh, of being by ourselves in a car. And we leave three or four empty seats all of the time. And we're a lot of time using an underutilized, oversized powertrain, right? Mm -hmm. and so the whole idea originally was about a commuter car. But then from there, it's become a lot more than that. It's for everything you do solo, going to get your groceries. It's about going to the gym by yourself. It's about 
when you go visit your friends or a cup of coffee by yourself. So the vehicle has a 100 mile range. It's got an 80 mile per hour top speed. It's all electric, right? It's pretty exciting. It's got some great safety features in it from a front and a rear crumple zone, side impact protection, roll bar, energy transfer, torque limiting stability control. And then on the inside, a lot of the same comfort features that you're used to in your passenger car. That's awesome. And I think it's important to to emphasize there, even for its small size, it has all the the creature comforts that one would expect from a modern car, right? You know, keyless entry, air conditioning, obviously, and stuff. I think there's a infotainment system, backup camera, uh, adjustable seat. Uh, if there's anything I'm leaving out, the the Bluetooth uh, stereo system, all those all those good things. Yeah, and I think people are surprised. They get inside of the vehicle; it's quite integrated, right? Yeah. As you said, it does have a heated seat. It does have air conditioning and heat and a backup camera. And it has Bluetooth, right? So, and it's fun to drive, right? You get inside of it and you feel like you're in a cockpit of a fighter jet, right? Because it's such a different concept, not having that passenger next to you and not having that depth next to you. You're surrounded by the cockpit and you feel like you're in a fighter jet. And it's just such a unique driving experience. And um, most people, they get into it and they just love the way it feels. Yeah, I've heard it described having a bit of a go-kart thrill to it, you know, and stuff. You're a little bit lower on the ground, you're a little bit smaller and stuff. So it feels like you're really traveling. Yeah, it's true. So the company has gotten a lot of attention lately, as I mentioned, but you guys have been doing this. the The solo EV has been in... Uh, has been in development or not development, but but sold on some scale uh, for the last five years or so, and and I think its roots even go deep, much deeper than that. If you could, yeah, just- I, I think, but but I think you're right. I mean, because you you mentioned we've been doing this for a while, right? Yeah. And and we started in 2015, and the company was birthed in Vancouver, as you say, and and you know. It takes a lot, Mike, to put a vehicle on the road, right? Mm. It really does. And so we started in Vancouver, 2015. We started with Jerry Crow, who was the then CEO of the company, and this concept all about, you know, having this single occupant vehicle for mostly for commuting at the time and a retail vehicle. And I want to come back to that at some point later because there's other uses for the vehicle. But but the reality is that. The initial engineering was done in the Vancouver area. All of the design and the engineering, the research and development was done in the Vancouver area. And then we started to build out low volume production in the Vancouver area, as you're aware. And we actually started to sell a limited number of vehicles, early stage vehicles in the Vancouver area and some in the United States uh, early on. And we started to gather data. We started to get you know, customers in the vehicles. We have a couple vehicles that have already passed 30,000 kilometers, actually. Uh, hmm. So we, we have a pretty good sense of, you know, what, what, it's, what it's like uh, for those customers that have been driving the vehicle. One is a deli owner who's been driving the vehicle for quite some time now up in the Vancouver area. And, um, you know, we, we, we gathered a lot of data. But, um, but doing it in small volume and doing it that way, with, you know, at a prototype level, is very, very different than making it in mass production. Hmm. Yeah. And the reason why I point this out is because this is an engineering discussion, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and when you go from making it like that to all of a sudden saying that you're now going to put it on the road, 
in the United States and in volumes and then worldwide and in volumes. And you're going to put an assembly facility yeah. and you're going to have, you know, a, a global supply chain and you're going to go put it out there and you're going to meet all of the FMVSS requirements for motorcycles. And you're going to, you know, you're going to go out and uh, try to do something that's incorporating all types of different features in there and delight customers and make sure that, that you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. It's a very different endeavor. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken us a period of time to go from that early stage in 2016, 2017 time period to where we are today. And where we are today is we're, we're just, just, you know, now getting ready to put the first vehicles into the hands of customers. And so we started production um, last year in 2020, uh, August of 2020, late late August of 2020 in our China facility. Mm. And, um, and we're excited by that because we have a relationship with Shangshan Industries. Yeah. And, um, but, but even then, it just takes a long time to get it going, right? Of course. And you know that, but it's just, it's a process. Yeah, I think I just wanted to draw attention that this isn't a flash in the pan. You could, I mean, uh, the sister company or the subsidiary Intermechanica uh, has like decades of experience decades. building. Um, how would you, they're replicas of classic sort of Porsches and other kinds of cars. So the people who engineered and, and designed this car uh, have got, yeah, have got, I think 60 years, 50 years, yes. something like that, of of automotive design work that's informing uh, what this now. I know it's light or it's somehow its pedigree is related to the Corbin Sparrow in some ways, but I imagine it's been radically changed from whatever whatever that IP was back uh, when it was acquired. But yeah, I just I just wanted to give yeah, a sense so, of so when we, yeah. when Jerry first when Jerry first um, was looking for the was for looking for the technology right and and uh, he he was first looking for the technology they they tried to look for it in California and didn't have a lot of success so then when he came back to Canada and decided to launch Electromechanica to your point he he went to 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 a very well-known car, you know, company, Intermechanica, mm -hmm. that had been around since, since 1959. Yeah. And they had been building these absolutely gorgeous classic vehicles since 1959. They started in Turin, Italy. They moved to California and then ultimately up the coast to Vancouver. And they, they based themselves in Vancouver. And they were building these replica sports cars, right? And uh, between him and Henry Reisner, Henry Reisner was the, the uh, owner of uh, Intermechanica. And between the two of them, they founded Electromechanica, right? And so yeah. all of the engineering, to your point, came from the help of Intermechanica. And it was a couple of years later, as Electromechanica started to build momentum and started to gain that investment and really became um, became more popular in the in the eye of the market and started to gain investment and then signed the investment partner over in China with Zhangshan Industrial Group mm. and became a strategic partner with Zhangshan Industrial Group. That's when the decision was made that Intermechanica should become part of our fold yeah. and should become part of our company. Gotcha. And just by the way, and I'm sure you're going to come back to it, 
but mm-hmm. you know there's still plans for for their e-roadster and yeah. i will tell you i'm driving today the very first e-roadster oh yeah it's out in my it's out in my garage that is i have a the first car. prototype and it is absolutely stunning because yeah. we are going to electrify all those roadsters. Yeah, the e-roadster and 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 the uh, sort of mock-up for the Torfino, which, like you say, we'll get to. Just that gorgeous. What is that? A what is that? The Porsche three fifty something. It was uh, it was the original three fifty six at the time, right? Yeah. And at that time, we had an you know back in the late fifties and sixties, there was an agreement. Now today, you know, it's a it's an intermechanica roadster. That is the yeah. that is what it is, um, and uh, we've we've done a great deal of engineering over the last eighteen months um, to make it into an electrified vehicle. And we introduced that vehicle uh, only two and a half weeks, three weeks ago now at Barrett Jackson, right. and it was quite exciting. Yeah, oh, and um, of course, you know, Barrett Jackson's in Scottsdale, and I yeah. live. I live two and a half miles away from Scottsdale. So I was not going to let that vehicle leave. Yeah, I I wasn't letting it leave the Scottsdale area without it having a stop, of course, in my driveway. (laughs) Of course. And and just to just to sort of round out the bona fides here, you know, and stuff, your own experience goes back to before Electromechanica. You were with Ricardo, Ricardo. And uh, it's like an engineering consulting company with quite a quite a history in itself. And you were VP you, before president. You were VP of engineering and uh, for yeah, electrification. Electric- yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, you're right. So my background. I've been 30 years in the automotive space, right? So it wasn't new to me. And I worked for a number of different companies in the automotive space. But in my last, let's say, my last 15 years mostly around advanced propulsion um, and around uh, compressed natural gas and hydrogen technology. And then specifically with Ricardo, uh, I was in charge of electrification and connected and autonomous vehicles, lived in the UK for a period of time. And then when I came back, I was the vice president of the North American division first, then became president of the North American division. But again, all around electrification. And Ricardo is a very, very well-known Hmm. technical consultancy. It's global. They work on about 600 uh, automotive projects a year with the the largest OEMs. And so for me, understanding what's required from a vehicle engineering standpoint, putting, you know, vehicles into production and complex engineering programs, this, this is second nature to me. And by the way, that's where I met Electromechanica the first time. So I met Electromechanica back in 2016, when I was working um, as president of Ricardo, because when I was president of Ricardo, Jerry Kroll came to us with um, the needs the needs for some engineering, and that's sure, how I sure. first met Electromechanica. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That all makes sense. Um, so, getting to the car is particular. I bet the I'm 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 guessing that the question you get the most is why three wheels and not four. Yeah, I mean the, the the first thing is the the wedge. The the thing I get the most is the wedge, the the tadpole design, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And and you know it's the the reality is you don't have that back seat, right? You don't mm. have the bench, you don't have the back seat, and because of that, you you really can from an aerodynamic standpoint, you don't need it, and and also from a visibility standpoint. So with our two side mirrors, you really do have the ability to see right down 
the the two sides of the vehicle and you have the the ability to see the entire back of the ve the vehicle and what's coming behind you on hmm. both sides right so yeah. that's the first thing so it's it's a it's a smaller footprint it's the ability to see both sides of the vehicle and what's behind you right um you don't have that bench and so there's just no need now um the other argument is it registers as a motorcycle uh, and you don't have to you're not registering it as a passenger car right so it registers as a motorcycle or as an auto cycle right mm -hmm. so some states it registers as an auto cycle and so the legislation around it is quite different i see um now for us we our vehicles go through we, we pass all of the FMVSS rules and regulations as it relates to a motorcycle. And then in our case, as I've said to you also, we, we go above and beyond, right? Because I'm really, really um, concerned about protecting that occupant. So we have incorporated on top of it, side impact protection, torque limiting stability control, the roll bar, the energy transfer under the seats and the crumple zones and things like that. So these, these are things that just, we want to make the vehicle as safe as we can for that occupant. And as we evolve the vehicle, we'll add even more additional safety features in it. But it sits kind sure. of in a class by itself. Yeah, yeah. And I want to return to that. Um, I, imagine, I imagine the three wheels takes, obviously, some of the weight, uh, a lot of the weight, and, and complexity out of that. And uh, I imagine it reduces some of the rolling resistance as well, so you get a bit more efficiency out of having three wheels as opposed to four um is it does that does the three wheels introduce any kind of complexity as to stability concerns is there anything that you have to do uh under the hood in order to um yeah there's no tilting involved i know uh but is there anything else that that wouldn't be immediately apparent that that helps with stability if it if it's needed at all when I first came in, that was my number one concern. I wanted to mm. make sure that as a three-wheel vehicle, we we were uh, stable and that you felt safe. First, we were stable, and secondly, that you felt you felt safe, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, we spent a lot of time just looking at the steering geometry in the front, and then that's why we opened up the um, we 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 went back, we re-engineered the steering geometry in the front. We opened up the track a little bit in the front, and, and then. In addition to that, we wanted to make sure that we brought the um, center of gravity coefficient down a little bit. There's there's a coefficient that's used to calculate exactly where center of gravity is in the vehicle. So we we were able to um, bring that coefficient down a little bit from an engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did that benchmark compared to to the others that are in the space, you know, compared to, for example, the Can-Ams and the Slingshots and everybody else that are in the space. But then one thing I also wanted to make sure is that, you know, you're, you're in a vehicle that, and, and by the way, you feel, you feel very, very safe in the vehicle, right? You already feel safe. But the one thing I wanted to make sure is that given that it's a rear, rear drive vehicle, rear wheel drive vehicle, yeah. the reason why I wanted to put torque limiting stability control into the vehicle is I wanted to make sure that given, given that you're sitting maybe at an intersection or on certain curves and things like that, and you're you're turning that you weren't just getting an unlimited torque right to to the wheels right i wanted right. to make sure that the there was a smart vehicle there that it's constantly calculating on an algorithm how much torque is needed as you're turning the steering wheel uh, whether you're sitting on a wet pavement and you're making a turn at a traffic light or around a curve 
And so we did add that feature in after I became CEO. I wanted to make sure that we did that as well. So the vehicles got quite a bit of engineering in that occurred after um, I became CEO and bringing my automotive experience to it. Yeah, and then we, yeah. we we also added just just so you know, sure. because I don't think uh, people people realize this as well. And we're gonna you know we'll we'll make some statements about this as well as we as we uh, start to put the keys out there to customers. But we also added some things about you know with regards to the hill holds. So for example, the the vehicle has you know pretty pretty significant hill hold features, so it holds very well on a steep hill pulls away very well on a steep hill. It has features in there to make sure that if you open the door, for example, and you're reaching for your mail, that you know, you 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 won't you won't be able to move that vehicle if you're opening the door and you're reaching for your mail oh, and things I see. like that. Yeah. So there's all sorts of considerations in that software, in that vehicle. And these are just the things that we did to make sure we protect that occupant. Right, right, and I did see that uh, another recent change was the uh, change from I think the I think the chassis or the, uh, was uh, like a composite material originally, and now has moved to uh, I guess more uh, aluminum for manufa- mass manufacturing purposes. Yeah, uh, right now it's still, or, it's still yeah. a Teclom chassis. It, it was a composite. Te- it's a Teclom chassis right now, okay. and it will be when we first launch the vehicle. It'll still be a Teclom chassis at launch. We have done studies to move it to an aluminum chassis or to put, and there's a couple other ones being looked at as well. But the, um, but the idea would be that we would potentially move it to, to something that's a little bit less expensive and gives us a little bit more uh, flexibility in manufacturing mm-hmm. and gives us a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, flexibility in manufacturing, a little less expensive and some additional uh, savings on mass. But but they all right. have to make sense from a business case standpoint. If right. they make sense from a business case standpoint, that we'll do it. So we launched into a program to look at that um, right before the end of last year. We started a program to look at that. Okay, okay, and it's got the it's got the one uh, what is it fifty three horsepower electric motor, and yeah. then it's uh, belt driven, right? It's, it's belt driven. It's, it's yeah. a standard Conti. It's a Continental belt. It's a standard belt. Okay. It's continental and uh, yeah. yep, it's fifty-three horsepower. Everybody says, "Well, how come it doesn't have like a like they all refer to the ludicrous mode from Tesla, right?" They're like, "Well, how come it doesn't have the ludicrous <laughs> mode on it?" <laughs> it's like the vehicle's not meant for that. The vehicle's right. meant to get you from point A to point B in a safe, reliable vehicle, and it does feel very quick actually because it's a light vehicle. But it's it's not meant to be a speed demon off the line. That's not what this is all about. Right, right. And it's got a range of about 100 miles. On a UDDS drive cycle, which is in a city, urban drive cycle, it has a range of 100 miles. Which translates to about 160 160 kilometers, kilometers, something like that. Right. And so they, and it's a a 17.3 kilowatt lithium ion battery pack. That's correct. And I just, this is a bit of a deep dive, but I was curious. So it's an NCA, that's nickel cobalt aluminum oxide? That is correct, yeah. Chemistry. Is there an advantage to that as opposed to another popular, was it lithium nickel magnesium cobalt, the N, uh, the NMC chemistry? Is there... Not, not sure that there's each claim that there's, you know, okay. you, you can look at, you know, is there power density or energy density? Everyone has you know, a reason, uh, a reasonable uh, claim on their advantages and disadvantages. 
Sure. This particular battery is uh, an 18650 cell. It's a, um, it, this battery is, as I'm sure you're aware, is a little bit unique because it's 144 volts, right? Mm. So it's, it's, it's slightly different, right? It's not, it's not a 300 plus volt battery. And for that reason, and it's, it's 144 volts. And if you remember the configuration of our vehicle, it's 72 volts on each door sill right? Because this is in the door sills. And uh, so it just happened to be that for our needs, this this particular cell configuration just worked out well for what we were what we were trying to achieve. Gotcha. Um, now, as we evolve the vehicle, um, you know, the, the, the look, we're looking at different configurations on cells sure. and, and where we go from here, who knows, because yeah. the next evolution of the vehicle is going to be the global vehicle. Right. So right. this vehicle that we have here is a vehicle that's meant for launching in the U.S. market. It's it'll be over the next, you know, the next 24 to 30 months. But the next vehicle is the global vehicle. It has to be homologated for the European and Southeast Asia markets. Right. And so that'll bring changes that will give it a slightly longer wheelbase, probably front wheel drive, additional safety features. And it could have a different battery pack and a different cell chemistry. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's rapidly evolving. I mean, everyone's chasing the That's holy amazing. grail of electric batteries, right? You know, and stuff. So, I mean, no one wants to get locked into one thing when everything changes. Um, what's the most difficult part of designing an electric car? Is it the is it the battery management? Is it the is it the dynamics? Is it what is it that that's the real? I mean, with you cut out a lot of the mechanical complexity, right? You know, and stuff, which is great for you know stuff like next to no maintenance, uh, you know, all kinds of great advantages of t cutting all that out. But for, for a designer, what's, what's the real challenge there with? Yeah, I, I would say that um, it's probably the, the battery management as it relates to certain conditions that you put the vehicle through, right? Because, because, you know, in, I love talking to guys like you because you really, you really get it. Right. <laughs> but like, for example, when you're accelerating onto an on-ramp, right. Yeah. Or like, like there's certain conditions that you put the vehicle through where you're trying to just get, get that last, th those, that last bit of amps out of the, out of the pack. Right. And that last bit of performance. So that is, um, that's probably part of it. It's, it's how do you maximize the range? It's it's all of the little tricks that are necessary to to really, you know, get the mass out of the vehicle, hmm. improve the range, manage that, you know, optimize the battery management system. Right? It's all of those things, Mike. It, and it's yeah, it's a real interesting um, balance with all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's no. really not for the faint of heart. So uh, it's been a fun. We have a great team. Yeah. And I'm proud of our team. I'm so proud of our team. And, you know, the one thing that I will say is that it's almost like football, though. That last 20 yards is mm. a tough 20 yards. Right. Yeah. And I think that that there's a there's kind of a little bit of a misunderstanding because you would think that the first 80 yards is the toughest. It's not. That red zone is the tough part. 
yeah. when you're within the last 20 yards and you're pushing for the goal line and you're very close to the goal line, it's all of that little fine tuning. It's all of the stuff that's required to now take it and get it across and get it onto the road and get everything, you know, into the key, the keys into the hands of the customers. That's the hard part. That last sure. part. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do want to get to the, the new manufacturing plant uh, in Arizona and all that sort of thing. One thing I did before I forget is, does the car collect telemetry? Does it, do you guys get feedback yes. from each of the cars like the Tesla? Yes. Every Excellent. one of the vehicles has pretty sophisticated telematics on it. So every vehicle we know, location, state of charge, G-forces, uh, acceleration. And the thing that's great about it is that, um, and, and you know, and we do all of that, by the way, I should just mention that we do all of that in, in the right way with what I mean by that is in, in the right way with all of the understanding of the privacy laws that are yeah. out there and making sure that we're compliant and everything like that. Because even that, that's, that's pretty, pretty tricky nowadays with understanding what all the rules and the regulations are around. All yeah. That, right? Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, the reason why it's important though, is because when we talk about the fleet side and what we want to do with the vehicles on the fleet side, interesting. you know, the fact that we have that, that capability, and now you start to think about, you can tie in to a delivery management service or a kitchen management service is, is it's really, that's really beneficial to be able to say to somebody like a fast food chain or a, or a pizza chain uh, franchise, you know, not that we're having these discussions that yes, you can say to, you can say that if you've taken five orders and these three orders are going to G1, now we can tie into, well, we know exactly where the location of the vehicles are going to be. And you can tie into that, that pizza can be delivered. These three orders can go right here and you can tie it all together. It's yeah. a really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking just for the evolve, the involvement of the vehicle in the future, right? And stuff, what's Absolutely. working, what could be improved? How can we, you know, how can we milk that last 20% as you mentioned? And what, you know, just just a constant beta test as as people drive their cars around and you're, you're getting that feedback and informing the next generation and so on and so forth. It's just well, and also that. we want to take the vehicle to the next level at some point, maybe, maybe not right now, right? But at some yeah. point, you know, we, we have we have a roadmap too on product development and on product development. We want to look at things like, uh, you know, it's, it's at the beginning here, next levels of ADAS, right? Whether it's lane keeping assist and emergency autonomous braking and things like that. Of sure. course, that's in our yeah. next in our next thought process. But we also want to look at autonomy, right? So yeah. the more telematics that you're putting into the vehicle, and then you start to add ADAS features. Now you're talking about the possibility of I of see, really creating autonomous vehicles too right yeah and for us when you can picture at some point making making this vehicle which is ideal for an autonomous vehicle at some point down the road yeah it's not infeasible right right and keeping that price point i mean i think the thing we're blowing over i mean i, that I forgot to bring up is that it's this is a this is this is a sort of twenty thousand yeah it's under twenty thousand dollars right and stuff i mean everyone else is starting at the the forty thousand and up uh and you yeah you guys are coming in there at, at uh at, i you know i i thought of it then when i talked to jerry years ago and now and stuff it's kind of it's kind of the vw bug of 
of you know the 21st century or it, it likes it, it wants to fit in that space i think it's just in every man's car or every person's car and uh you know low maintenance you know it it gets you where you want to go well that's what i think makes us so unique when people talk to me about and that's why i love telling the story when people talk to us about the company i think yes we have the retail side and somebody can buy this for eighteen thousand five hundred dollars today it's sub twenty thousand yeah. dollar vehicle right and it's got a great entry point and it's for all of those things you do solo. Then I love that when we talk about our ecosystem and the three prongs of the ecosystem, then we have the fleet and the commercial side. Think about all of the different applications yeah. that there are when you take off the hatchback and you put the cargo. I don't know if you've seen our cargo version of the vehicle, but we have a cargo version of the vehicle, which is really cool. So you take the hatchback off, you stick the cargo box on there. And now for pizza delivery, for fast food franchise, small parcel post, groceries. Think about like how many stores today are doing like market fresh and grocery kind of delivery, right? Mm -hmm. Security companies that go around shopping malls at night or around communities at night. You don't need to have a big SUV with three or four empty seats and they're just, you know, they're empty, right? You can yeah. have you can have this vehicle and it's perfect for that. And with a 100 mile range in an urban driving environment, perfect for that. Yeah. So we we have had more than 1800 fleet leads in the last few months. That's unbelievable. We're trying wow. to keep up with the fleet leads, yeah. right? And so we we have hired uh somebody from uh from General Motors. She used to work for General Mo from she used to work for General Motors. Her name's Sydney Dunn, and she's just been doing a great job of building out our fleet department. And so while we have a direct to consumer approach on the retail side yeah. we have an active approach going out after all of the fleets everything from small municipalities and small you know cities and municipalities all the way to national fleets and we're working on that side and then the last part of our ecosystem is we really believe mike that there's a place to share these vehicles too in in certain settings like college campuses or in high-rise residential complexes, you know, where mm. you can walk up and with a fob or your iPhone or your Android, unlock it and take it for a couple hours or four hours or even overnight, go visit mom and dad and bring it back. It's perfect for this. Yeah. So yeah. I think ride that's sharing for company like, different. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to break in. Like I was thinking ride sharing, like, I mean, you know, for, for, for tourism sake, you know, and stuff around the city. I mean, they have the bikes, right. And stuff that you check out of the kiosk, but there are other ride sharing kinds of, uh, things where you, maybe you're just by yourself, right? And stuff, and you just Absolutely. want something that you can check out, drive around, and then get back to the whatever you're doing. Interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. Especially that modular back. I mean, you could refrigerate it, you could make it uh, secure, you could make it whatever you needed to to adapt it to whatever uh, customer you were you were uh, yeah working with. Yeah, we can we can send you some images of it so you can see. It's pretty cool. Great, great. Okay, so, um, oh, the other thing I, I didn't want to gloss over was you mentioned that it's classifies as a a, a motorcycle or yeah. or uh, what was the other auto cycle auto cycle motorcycle or auto yeah yeah but it doesn't require a special uh, driver's license or anything like that. There's no there's no like gotchas or weird weirdnesses in like insurance or or registration or or, or licensing. For the most part, that's true. So in the United oh, okay. States, for in the United States, right, um, it, there's there's about 40 to 42 states. I don't know exactly, but there's about 40-ish 40, 40 states 
where you drive it with your normal driver's license, right? So because you're not straddling and because you're in a restraint system and because you're in a seat and because you're protected with all the safety features that I told you about, you're golden, right? There are a few holdout states, some that just want to still have a motorcycle endorsement. So it doesn't say you can't drive it, but you still have to just have a motorcycle endorsement on your license to drive it. Um, But the majority of the time, you just drive it with your normal driver's license. However, the good thing about it is that uh, because it is registered as a motorcycle in most of the states and you, you get the benefit of motorcycle insurance, you get the benefit of lower costing insurance. And uh, so it's, it's great from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So was that, was that a design decision or was that just uh, a coincidence of like, we're going to make a three wheel car and we have good reasons for doing that. And, oh, it just happens that, that it, the ladder. Qualified. It was the was ladder. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was just the ladder. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So you mentioned the manufacturing facility in China, which is ramped up last year, uh, but you also announced the the new f- uh, manufacturing facility that will go out in Arizona, Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Is, so we're excited. It's amazing. Yeah, just right next <laughs> to Phoenix. It's been a busy couple of weeks for us. Right? It really has. Yeah. It's been a crazy busy year for you guys. <laughs> been really great. Um, so why Arizona? I noticed a lot of a lot of electric vehicle makers like Lucid, Local, Elio, now yourselves. What is it about Arizona that's so popular? I can guess, but I I don't want to I don't want to presume. Yeah. So okay. So a couple things. So first thing is so on on the vehicles out of China, you know we we are starting to ramp up there, and those vehicles that are coming out of China. We, we've been mostly using them for our own purposes. We've been ramping up very, very slowly just to make sure that we get the assembly correct. And we've been populating our own retail kiosks. We, we've been using them for some fleet demonstration purposes. And we have not delivered yet to any customers yet, right? And we're just on the verge of doing that. And over the next, over the next couple of years, the China facility will you know, be providing all the vehicles that will be going into the hands of of the customers who are waiting right now, right? That's just the reality because the because sure. the facility that we did agree to build here is Greenfield. It's from scratch. It's yeah. it is leveled dirt right now. The, the construction equipment's mobilized over there, but it is really a start from scratch. Yeah. And so, yeah. why why Mesa? How did we end up with Mesa? We started the process um, about about fifteen months ago. Actually, we started with BDO site incentives group out of New York, we asked them to help us look. And they um, looked at multiple states for us. We started with seven states and we had sent RFQs to seven states. And, um, you know, I happen to live here, but despite what people think, it's not because I live here that it ended up in Arizona, right? Okay. I, I split my time between here and in Canada. Yeah. But yeah. but we we actually ran a very comprehensive study with seven different states looking for the best option for Electromechanica. And it came down to the Nashville area or the Phoenix area, Mesa Phoenix area. And what happened at the end was that um, Nashville was great. I mean, Nashville offers a great supply chain, a great automotive industry, great tier one base there, right? Great talent pool there as well. But in our case, what was in, what was appealing here was that the state and um, Governor Ducey, Sandra Watson, they they are already attracting other EV talent, other EV talent, like you mentioned, right? They had yeah. already brought Nikola, they had already brought Lucid, 
and they had already brought uh, companies like Waymo here before. And um, so there's this growing swell of tech that's coming here. And in our case, um, the, the land, the actual land where our building was going to be, was in a great location. The overall proposal from the state was just a great proposal, a great comprehensive proposal. The workforce is uh, interesting. And then, you know, the target market for us is mostly here on the West Coast, if, if I'm just honest, right? Yeah. And so the logistics to get from Arizona to California and to the to you know Oregon and to Washington sure. is easier. Yeah. And um, at the end, the thing that really pushed us over the top is I wanted to test this sharing, this solo sharing, right? Mm. And the the local authorities here, the uh, Greater Phoenix Economic Council, GPEC, and the, their five municipalities, they all came together with the two utilities, with APS and SRP, and they said, well, we'll help you test that solo sharing. We'll work together and we'll we'll put together a, pro, a, a, a pilot program for solo sharing. So between all of the things that were already attractive about coming here and then that solo sharing, we decided on Mesa. And so what is it about Arizona? I think that they're aggressive in bringing EV companies here. I think that they want to make a statement that they want to be the next, the next location for EV companies and tech companies, not just EV companies. Yeah. They've got companies like ChargePoint and Blink here. They've got companies, like I said, like Waymo, so autonomous companies. They're really driving into that tech space. Yeah. And um, we just felt like at the end, it was, it was a good it was a good fit for us. And for a long time, my wife, all the way until three days before, my <laughs> wife kept saying, is it Nashville or is it the Phoenix area? <laughs> and so it just ended up that it was here. Yeah. It seems like a natural to me. I mean, it's just it's in that auto axle from southern Ontario out to uh, Sonora, Mexico, right? And stuff. There's a lot of supply that goes right down that. And I imagine like a lot of a lot of suppliers, right? Being a border state and stuff, a lot of that auto supply is going to come up from there. Uh, and like you say, there is a growing, I know Arizona wants, I grew up there. I grew up in Arizona. I went to school there and stuff. Oh, so that's I, great. I, I didn't yeah, know that. So I grew up in Scottsdale. Um, but I know that the state wants to get away from being as tourism dependent as it has been, especially following 2001. I remember how sort of a nosedive this the uh the state took and stuff but yeah i, I think you're right there is a real ecosystem beginning to uh, develop there i i just saw something uh just the other day somebody announced that they were going to start manufacturing um auto parts for electrical vehicles and they had they had chosen a spot in flagstaff arizona of all places um, wow yeah, yeah. So, i mean look at the semiconductor industries coming here too exactly look, yeah taiwan and intel I mean, they're all coming here. Yeah, yeah, those fabs are huge, right? And Motorola has been there forever. And uh, Microchip, I think, has got a big facility out there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a great place. And like you say, I-10, you get right there in Southern California. Uh, yeah, we're excited by the decision, and we're excited by the support we've gotten so far. So we're looking forward to it. Now the hard work begins. We've, we've spent a lot of time with the architects over the last, uh, you know, five weeks, and we've we've – we're, we're so close now to being able to break ground and show what the facility is going to look, look like. And um, it's, it's close and we're excited to, when that happens, we're close to being able to reveal. Yeah. 
And like you said, you're going after California. And so there are retail locations, taking a page, another page from Tesla. Um, you're not going with dealerships. It's retail locations. There are a couple in, there are a couple in Arizona. There are a number of them in Southern California, San Francisco, San Jose, in the mid range, and then Portland, Oregon. And yeah, so now, yeah, so like Tesla from a direct-to-consumer side, yeah. slightly different than Tesla from oh. the side that we don't think that we need a store in the sense that we need a full-blown brick-and-mortar store like they I do, see. Okay. right? Yeah. So our model is different because our model is usually a two to 400 square foot retail kind of a boutique kiosk, right? Gotcha. It's usually okay. in the flow of traffic. It's in the middle of, of a shopping mall kind of in right in the flow of traffic, right? And we started in Century City. That was our first one in Beverly Hills area. Gotcha. Now we're going to have, uh, we'll have uh, 19 or 20 by the end of the quarter here. Yeah. And we have five states. We're in uh, Washington and Oregon, California, and uh, we'll be in Colorado will be the latest. So, and then Arizona, Colorado. And the whole idea for us is that, that direct to consumer, because when we thought about the dealer approach, my concern with the dealer approach was mm. that you're relying on somebody else to help you build your brand. And I was always concerned that we would be the very last brand on a dealer lot. And you can't really build the brand presence and identity that way. So I, I yeah. was very concerned about that. And so I wanted to make sure that we, we built our brand. So that was the first thing. The, the second thing was that the way we wanted to go about it was in an asset light approach, right? So if we went into bigger brick and mortar stores, similar to how uh, Elon did it, um, which I, I, I look at what he did and does in amazement <laughs> every, every day, right? But if we did it the way he did it, we would be tied into much longer leases yeah. and people have to actually walk into the store. Right. Yeah. And he's way further ahead than we are. Right. For us right now, because of the size of our vehicle and because of what we're trying to accomplish, this just gives people the ability as they're passing the vehicle to touch it, feel it, see it, schedule a test drive, or even sure. sign up for a pre-order right there. They yeah. don't need to have that fear of, well, do I need to go into the store and do I need, and, and then do I need to sign or do we need to sign long-term leases, heavy brick and mortar? This is a very easy asset light approach for us and gives people the ability to test it. So like I said, five, five major states, 10 major markets, 20 stores or around 20 stores, I should say, 19 or 20 by the end of Q2. And we're excited by it. We continue the retail rollout and it's a direct to consumer approach. Great. Great. If, if I might wrap up with just a few more sort of broader questions, sure. you know, the last few months and maybe the last couple of years, but in the last few months, like every major, you know, car maker, uh, I mean, G GM even changed their logo to sort of reflect uh, the change in perspective to make it look like an electrical plug and all that sort of thing. Uh, you've spent 20 some odd years in, in the in this space. Why is now like uh, a tipping point for the electric vehicle, do you think? Like, in the, it seems, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like in the last couple of months, just announcement after announcement after announcement about about this. I think a few things. I think that, that consumer, first of all, I think that um, 
And again, we we have to give credit to Mr. Musk on this, sure. right? Yeah. At, at least let's give some credit where credit's due. Right? So I want to. I would like to give him a shout out, a, a, a well deserved <laughs> shout out, right? Because he's yeah. he's the one who probably started it all. But first of all, technology costs have come down. Yeah. Right. And um, that's a big one, big driver. So when you think about the cost per kilowatt hour on a battery pack you know, 10 years ago versus where it is today, it's completely different. Yeah. Second thing, consumer attitudes have changed. Charging infrastructure has, has increased dramatically. Look at where ChargePoint and Blink are today, especially ChargePoint. It's incredible where ChargePoint is today compared to where we were five years ago. And so when you look at uh, what Frost and Sullivan is saying that by 2025, you know, 6.9 million vehicles by, 6 point, uh, by 2025, that's amazing. When you look at what Auto News is saying that by 2030, n- new car sales will 50% of all new car sales will be EVs by 2030 versus yeah. you know what it is today. That's unbelievable, right? So the trends are that between countries just saying, "Hey, we're moving there," major o- OEMs are moving in that direction, and consumer attitudes changing, cost of technology coming down. I think that you're just you're just recognizing now that we're riding the the tailwinds. We're riding the economic tailwinds and the benefits are there today. Yeah. And so it's just, we're fortunate. And what we've done, um, we've done a lot with our company with, with um, a lot of nimbleness and with uh, being asset light and a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, prudence and with very little capital, honestly, when you think about it, with very little capital to get to where we are, where we're able to put a vehicle on the road. And um, I would just say that we're poised to really move forward from here and we're just beginning. So it's it's kind of exciting time period for us. And I'm really excited about where we're headed from here. Yeah, yeah. Great. And I, and I did want to, we, we kept saying that we were going to get back to it, but the e-roadster and the Tofino, Right. Yeah. So these these are the things that you're you've got on the on the so the the e roadster which is really cool looking. <laughs> I love that car. Um, uh, you know the uh, so what is the what is the what is the rollout plan for those? And yeah, the e roadster will be first. Yeah, the e roadster will definitely be first. So the yeah. the e roadster is um, because we already have if you think about it we've already got the great foundation right. So we we have the body. We already have been making roadsters. And we've been making intermechanica vehicles, as you say, for 60 years, right? Yeah. And what I really would like to do is blend this classic beauty and modern technology. So yeah. when you get inside of the e-roadster today, you the, the gauges on it are still old school, right? And the, the tack, the speedometer, everything is old school. But it's all around an EV, which is really cool. Yeah, and it's so unique, and um, the vehicle drives amazing. And I, I cannot tell you the kind of attention that I get personally driving it. So I've got the very first um, prototype of it, and the engineering team's worked on it for eighteen months. And um, we have probably, and I know it's painful for people to hear it, but we probably have about another eighteen months of engineering to go on it, even though. Mm this one drives beautifully right yeah yeah so we introduced it to we introduced it to the world at barrett jackson we took 
reservations and you can get online right now and you can place a reservation for it. And it'll be a studio style where you get to choose everything from your color to your mats, to your, you know, your stitching. I mean, it's just that it's going to be that kind of a, a, a product, right. And we'll make them in limited edition, you know, limited volumes per year. I and um, it'll be a 2023 release on the e-roadster. And then the Tofino, I, I still have very deep aspirations as a car guy to put, put the Tofino on the road. But for me, the focus is sure. let's get the solo on the road. Let's get the e-roadster on the road and then let's evolve the solo so that we can get the, so that we can get the global version of the solo on the road. Cause we'll have to get the global version on the road first. Now, once you've put solo on the road and once you've put the e-roadster on the road, I would say we've laid a very, very solid foundation to do Tofino. Great. Great. Cause I know that, I mean, the European market and the Chinese market is like, I think the Chinese are like the, that's a really important one and stuff. Cause I think their adoption, like the, the percentage of cars. Yeah. And you already have the manufacturing capability there. So eventually it, you're just well-placed it seems. Yeah. I just feel like there's been a lot of C there's been a lot of CEOs that have, that have not delivered first of all, and there's been mm -hmm. a lot of EV companies that have come along and, you know, fizzled, right? I want to make sure that what we say we're going to do, we do, that we build credibility, we do it in steps. So for me, it's all around solo, delivering on that, building credibility that we can put a vehicle on a road, get that one out in the hands of customers, then get the global version out there. And meanwhile, we put the roadster on the road. Now you can show that you've done two things. You've put one vehicle in its entirety on the road and you've sorted everything out from from front to back, and I'm talking about the distribution side too, because mm. it's more than just it's more than just can you can you engineer a vehicle. One part is the engineering side of the vehicle. The other side is can you distribute it? Can you handle your customers? Can you handle the after sales? Can you handle you know all of those kinds of things? Now now you do the roadster and you've done that. Now you've done all of the undercarriage engineering for the roadster, all yeah. of the work that's required. To, for FMVSS, maybe NHTSA and all of that, right? Now you can say, well, look at that company. They've done solo. They've done a global global solo. They know how to put a vehicle on a road. They know how to handle the distribution. They've laid that foundation. They've got after sales and care. They've done the Roadster. Now when they talk to us about doing something like the Tofino, sure. that's the plan. Gotcha. Well, great. Thank you. I think we, uh, I think that's a good place to end unless there's something that we didn't cover that you'd like to, but otherwise I, I think we, we covered, uh, most of the, most of everything that I wanted to get to. Well, I appreciate the time to talk to you. Um, it's always, I, I kind of like talking to the engineering side every once in a while, right? Cause <laughs> I don't get that opportunity very often. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I hope that, uh, we get the chance again real soon. Absolutely. I can't wait till you drive. First, the solo again, and then secondly, come down once this pandemic thing clears up and the borders Absolutely. open up and drive the roadster. Now that I know you're in, in back home and stuff, heck yeah. I'll come on down. I'm a hell duck on the door. <laughs> in the meantime, follow the story, yeah. and um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe to the Design Engineering Podcast or check the podcast tab on our website design-engineering.com for new episodes. 
Also, if there's a specific topic you'd like us to cover, please let me know. Send your request to my email address, mmcleod at design-engineering.com. If the subject has broad appeal and is appropriate to our audience, I'll do my best to make it happen. Also, a special thank you to this episode's sponsor, Misumi, where the design possibilities are endless. Check out their website at misumiusa.com, where the company offers 80 sextillion mechanical part configuration options. Thank you again, and we hope to see you back here soon.